You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. What's up, everybody? How's everybody doing? All right. Good, 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 good. Hey, that's good. Okay. So, um, good morning. Uh, everybody here knows me, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass through the introduction part. Um, but I pray you're well today. Uh, we're going to go ahead and continue our time in worship by uh, heading into the Bible. Who likes the Bible? Nerds. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just playing. Uh, but hey, as we, as we head into the Bible, the thing is, uh, and I like to remind us of these things every single week, right? Because uh, we don't believe the Bible is just like a normal book, right? Like normal words. Uh, it's not just like a book that we have for like entertainment. Let me say one thing. It's mad entertaining. So don't feel like it's not, because sometimes when you read through the Bible and it's like, it starts hitting with some drama and it's like, bro, this is a novella right now. But what I'm getting at is that it's not for entertainment. These are words that we believe were given to us by God, uh, not just to entertain us, but to invite us to connect with him, right? To invite us um, to learn who he is, to fall in love with him, uh, to connect with him in a meaningful way. And so when we open uh, this book, and, and, and obviously I don't have a literal, but I have an iPad, but when I, what I mean by this, when we engage these words, you hear me say this every week, it's not to ask God to teach us something new, like to teach us a fun fact about the Bible. It's to ask God to move through these words in order to transform us in some way, to change our heart, to change our mind, to change our lives, to change our actions. And so as we head into this time, what I don't want us to do is to be like, okay, cool, like what is he gonna say? What I want us to do is say, God, touch me today, right? Interact with me today. Connect with me as we talk about the Bible and expound on a couple of ideas. Father, meet me right here and transform me, like touch my life uh, during this time. And that's what we're doing when we enter into this time in the scriptures. We really do consider it a continuation of our time in worship of God. And so I say all that to say we're going to go ahead and jump into the time of scriptures by continuing our sermon series. Uh, what are the sermon series doing right now? Anybody know? Hey, let's go. The Good Shepherd. That's right. To be fair, Genevieve working for us part-time and she knows it. So I, that, that, there's some handicap going on there, but that's okay. Uh, the, the sermon series is called The Good Shepherd, and we're just going through Psalm 23, uh, taking it one verse at a time. So we're in Psalm 23 the next six weeks, each week covering one verse. And we're really just exploring what it means for God to be our good shepherd, right? What does it mean when, God, when, when, when David's in here saying, God is my shepherd, he's the good shepherd? What does it mean? But it also, uh, we're, we're trying to answer the question, what does it look like to follow the good shepherd? He's the good shepherd. What does it look like to follow him, though? So that's what we're going to be doing. Last week, we thought about um, what it meant for the Lord to be our shepherd. So we tackled verse one, right? Like the Lord is our shepherd. Uh, most, of the, most of the verses that you know are like, I shall not want. Uh, the CSB, which is what our church uses, I think it says like, I lack for nothing, I want to say. And so we thought about what does it mean for the Lord to be our shepherd and for us to not have lack? What does that actually mean? And, and we thought through the idea that, that following God is really an invitation to learn about God's provision through learning about ourselves and learning about what our actual needs are, and, and seeing him meet those needs as we learn them. Now, this week, we're going to be uh, moving on to verse 2. Uh, he lets me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. Um, and if you're going to take home one idea today, right, kind of one point for you to walk home with, uh, or go home with, um, is this, that following God brings us the hope of a bigger story. 
Following God, following the good shepherd, right, brings us the hope of a bigger story, okay? We're going to try to tackle that bigger idea by tackling two smaller ideas, like two bite-sized thoughts, and that's, one, God's faithful now. When I think of God and who he is in my life, one of the characteristics I should think of is that he is faithful. Now, after that, though, we're going to tackle this idea that God was also faithful then, There's a history of God's faithfulness that we get to look back on. And those two things interact in in a really beautiful way in a text like this. So we're going to tackle those two smaller ideas to try to come together with a bigger idea uh, that following God brings us hope of a bigger story. So let's go ahead and dive in getting started with that first smaller point, God's faithful now. And we're going to reread Psalm uh, 23, verse 2. We're just going to reread that second verse. And it says this. If, can y'all read it with me, actually? Go ahead and read it from the screen, because some of y'all are in here using non-CSB Bibles, and it's going to turn into a mess. It's going to turn into chaos when we do this. So uh, can we read it together, right, on the count of three? One, two, three. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Great. Okay. And so as we dive into verse 2, let's take kind of a quick second to look back at some of the things we talked about last week in verse 1, primarily that these words were written, to the best of our knowledge, by King David. Uh, King David, most of y'all know him, right? This is uh, David and Goliath. If you're real nerdy, you're going to be like, oh, David and Bathsheba. Uh, You know, you're going to have some other, other stories in there. But the main one that you learned growing up was David and Goliath, right? And so he, though at before uh, he was king, even before he took on Goliath, was a shepherd. And so when he was a shepherd, he learned a lot about what it meant to lead and care for sheep. In fact, uh, recounting his days as a shepherd before he fought Goliath, in 1 Samuel 17, he says this, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. Dang. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. All right, so my man's talking big game, but he had to talk a big game because he was going to go up against Goliath. But, but clearly, clearly, my guy knew a lot about shepherding. He'd clearly been through some things. He knew the fun moments, like caring for the sheep and, and the sheep bang or whatever sheep do. Or I don't know the noise they make. I don't know how to describe it. But, but that, a what? It's bleeding. Okay, yes, that. So he knew those moments, but he also likewise knew the difficult moments, right? He likewise knew the moments when it felt like the sheep were in danger, and he had to put his life on the line in order to go and take care of that. He knew the fullness of what that looked like to be the shepherd that really almost laid down his life sacrificially for the sake of the sheep. And and like David's own experience, this draws him to this place of writing out, man, this kind of reminds me of God, right? Like, he sees God as the fighting, courageous leader of his people, his sheep. He recognizes that God, like himself leading his father's sheep, was always intended good for them. And so when he lists off this idea uh, that the shepherd leads me to still water, right? He, he leads me to green pastures. He, he lets me lie down in these green pastures. He, he's drawing from his own experience as the shepherd that never intended bad for his sheep, but only intended good. At no point, at no point would David ever have looked at his father's sheep and been like, I don't really care about y'all. Because you know what? At nowhere in your heart can you feel that and attack a lion. Nowhere in your heart can you feel I'm not too concerned about you and go after a bear. There only has to be a sense of I care about that thing. 
And when he understood that in himself, he looked at God and said, this is how you feel toward me. You would, you would attack a lion. You would attack a bear because your intention for me is never evil, but rather your intention for me is good. You lead me, right, and you let me lie in green pastures. You lead me to still water. And friend, I want to remind you of something as we get started today. The destination of your life in the hands of the good shepherd is good. And I want you to hear what I'm saying, and I want you to hear it again and again. Even though, even though I'm only going to say it one more time, right? The the destination of your life in the hands of the good shepherd is good. The destination of your life in the hands of the good shepherd is good. It's good because he's good. It's good because he loves you. It's good because he cares for you. It's good because he sees you. It's good because he's present with you. It's good because he knows you. It's good because he is the good shepherd. He loves you, and his destination for your life is good. Now, I want you to hear that, and I want you to take note of it, because for many of us, right, myself included, it's often easy to see the struggles of our life, to see hard moments, and have those moments really stand out in our memory. And as a result, when we look at the horizon of our life and the destinations that we believe we're headed to, it's easy with those, with those difficulties standing out in our mind to go, what's over the horizon must be bad, to begin expecting the worst out of the next situation. And maybe you're not there, but I can be. And if you're being honest, I think that probably a lot of you are as well. We begin to just anticipate the negative and start to neglect the reality. And we've forgotten that the good shepherd leads us to green pastures and quiet and restful waters. That's his destination for you. That's his destination for me. That's his destination for us. Good in our lives. Why? Because the good shepherd is leading us. And, and like David, he would lay down his life for the sake of his sheep. David knew this, obviously, because of his own experiences as a shepherd and also his own experiences with God. But, but, and I want to give a good but here. If we're going to level with each other this morning, which I hope you do level with me. Uh, again, we started this morning saying, like, don't leave this junk at the door. Bring the junk here. And so I hope I can interact with some junk right now if, if I have that that opportunity. For many of us, we've never been shepherds. Yes, we don't know the life of a sheep. Someone the other day in a small group was like, look at this picture of a sheep that ain't never been sheared, and that bad boy looked like the Michelin man. And I was like, I know that happened. I just assumed they stopped growing wool and just generally would be, and someone was like, no, they, they'll die. And I was like, oh man, I don't know what it is to be a shepherd, and I don't know the life of a sheep. I don't know the commitment and intention and heart of a shepherd, what's required. I don't know. What am I saying with that? I'm saying that for many of us, these words are easier to say than they are to believe. To say he leads me and to let me lie down in green pastures and he leads me next to still water is, a, is an easy thing to say for us. It's a much harder thing to believe for us because I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it means to take a, an animal that seems to be maybe a little aimless and say, no, I know exactly where you need to be. Here's where you need to be. And to watch that animal flourish. I don't know that experience. And so we can be encouraged and hear the hope that these words have for us today. But it doesn't in reality change our circumstance. It doesn't in reality change our pain. For some of us, maybe we have physical ailments. It doesn't it doesn't magically heal our body to read these words and to say, no, God is my shepherd, 
and, and he, he lets me lie down in green pastures, and he leaves me beside restful, quiet waters. And, and in those moments of doubt, unlike David, the problem is I don't have a world of experience being a shepherd that I can lean on when I'm doubting that. But here's the beautiful thing. David, David wrote these things, and I think he believed them. I don't think he just wrote them as a one-off and then was like, but I ain't never believed that in my life. I think he wrote them and thoroughly believed them, but not just because he was a shepherd himself. You don't have to have those experiences in order to deeply know these truths. In fact, it wasn't his experience that he was dwelling on most when he wrote these words at all. But the reality of God's faithfulness now uh, for him was deeply connected to the reality of God's faithfulness then. Let me explain. Thinking about God's faithfulness then, our second bite-sized point, David's words here aren't just about shepherding, right? Underneath the surface of these words, on kind of the undercurrent, there's a story that's linked here that, that would encourage God's people, testifying of God's goodness and redemption for generations. Uh, his words in the second verse specifically, uh, they tie, he lets me lie down in green pastures, right? He leads me besides quiet waters. These words are echoes from another moment of God's faithfulness. And like deja vu, the original readers would have been reading these words and they would have been, been all of a sudden stirred to an idea as they read them and they started connecting to other ideas from within the Bible. Specifically, it would have encouraged the most discouraged hearts as we thought about God's biggest moment of redemption in the history of Israel. In Exodus 15, the nation of Israel, led by moments, read by, by Moses, not moments, in a moment, but Moses, uh, they sing a song of gratitude because they were once slaves, but now they're free. Uh, after years of being enslaved in the nation of Egypt, God hears their call, the literal words, I've heard the suffering of my people, and he meets Moses in the burning bushes. This is in Exodus 3 for any curious people, and he sends Moses to Egypt to what? Y'all know Charlton Heston line. What is it? Let my people go. That's right. And through a sequence of terrifying things that, that slowly break down Pharaoh, eventually the people are, are released. Moses leads them out of Egypt, and they're on their way to freedom. But just in that moment, when they thought everything was okay, Filled with bitterness and filled with anger, the Pharaoh begins to pursue them with the armies and chariots of Egypt, and he corners them on the west side of the Red Sea. And not knowing what to do, Moses calls to God, and God says to Moses, raise your hand above the Red Sea, and in front of them, the, the, the waters part, a clear path through the sea is formed, and all of a sudden, the nation of Israel is walking through the Red Sea. And they get to the other side, and I'm sure they were anxious, like, yo, what's going to happen here? But then all of a sudden, the Egyptian army starts to rush through that same corridor, but the waters crash down, and it washes them away. And on the east side of the sea, overlooking the waters, freedom in front of them after 400 years of slavery, they begin to sing a song about God's faithfulness. And in Exodus 15, 13, they say this, with your faithful love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. And here's why all that is important. I want to put back up Exodus 15, 13 for one second. Uh, no, the second set, because there's another set that's gonna, gonna have a, a couple other little tidbits in there. 
many of the same words here are directly used in Psalm 23, verse 2, and, and the beginning of verse 3. And so with your faithful love, that's what, that's what the psalmist talks about in 23.6 when he says, goodness and faithful love will follow me. You will lead the people. This is the exact same phrase in 23.2 when he says, you will lead me to still water. The next slide. Uh, you will guide them. That's the lead me part from 23 verse 3. Uh, to your holy dwelling. That word is literally the word pasture. As in, you let me lie down in green pastures. Here's the thing, friend. David found his hope, even as he was writing this, I don't think he found his hope in his circumstances. I don't even think he found his hope in his own past experiences. I think he found his hope from plugging into a story that was bigger than himself. A story of God's faithfulness to his people for generations, knowing that who God had been then and who God had been generation after generation after generation was who God was going to be to David that day as well. And he looked back and he plugs himself in to this story, that same God that redeemed the people of Israel from slavery hundreds of years before was the same God that was leading David. And that's what gave David hope. That same God that led my people through the waters is the same God that's leading me to still waters today. Plugging into a a story that's bigger than yourself. And I have a question for you. Um, Are you tapping into a bigger story for your life? Are you tapping into a bigger story for your life? Let let me ask you a question. Where, Where do you see that God has been faithful before and he will remain faithful for you? Right? What do you plug into that reminds you God has been faithful for generations before and he will likewise be faithful to you? What do you plug into to remind yourself of that? What do you plug into to be assured of that? What are you plugging into that convinces you of that? When doubt hits you, as I'm sure doubt hit David at some point, I don't think that David was a superhuman person that once he wrote this, he was like, I'm never gonna not believe. I'm sure there were moments of doubt, but what in your life, what bigger story do you plug back into and go, no, God has been faithful then and God is faithful now? What do you plug back into? What reminds you when a relationship is getting rocky that there's, uh, and there's maybe like feelings of betrayal or pain that God is still moving as he's moved in other relationships before and he'll move now? It may not be the, what, I, what I describe or what I expect, but I know that he's moving. What reminds you in difficult and painful situations that God is still working out those situations in your life? You don't know what's going to come about. You don't know maybe the end point, but you know that God leads uh, to green pasture and still water, right? That it's your testimony. And through that, as God leads you, he's going to lead you in a place that's going to inspire and encourage other people. What reminds you that the struggles that you have, relational, financial, you insert your own struggle, right? Or create faith in you because the God that's leading you leads you to green pastures and quiet and still waters. What, what bigger story are you plugging into, right? What story of hope? What story of courage? What, what story are you plugging into that's reminding you of those things when you're starting to doubt them? That's my question for you today because we need that story. We desperately need that story. Uh, this, this really reminds me of two things. Um, first, it actually reminds me of our prayer and care days. Uh, you may be like, why? Or you may be like, this is a shameless plug. You're right, okay? 
But nonetheless, it still reminds me of it, and I think it's true. I think it's right for it to remind me of it, because for those who don't know, prayer and care is um, our monthly time on a Saturday morning where we go into the community, right? We knock on doors. We ask if people need prayer, if they need anything that we can help out with beyond prayer. Uh, we actually did it yesterday. It was a great time. Several of us got to have really, really good conversations. Um, and so it, it's a great time. And here's why, why this reminded me of that, though. Because when we go out on Saturday, it's really hard not to begin to get plugged into the bigger story of our local church refuge, right? Our our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. When we look at our community, we have this deep desire uh, that we would make disciples, and those disciples, through their lives being changed, would begin to shape a community that has a lot of social needs, a lot of physical needs, a lot of emotional needs, and that would transform them, and that, that gradual ripple effect of the gospel and disciple-making would begin to change a community and transform a community. That's what we aim to do. And that means everything we do from this service uh, to our classes. Missy did a, is doing an amazing job with the discipleship through trauma class. That joint goes hand in hand with what our bigger vision is, our community groups. Everything we do is to help see that one mission accomplished. And when we go out there and we start to knock on doors and you start to meet different people, and you start to hear about their needs and you start to see their needs, it does something to you. It does something to you. And here's the thing. You may not even realize it's doing something to you. That's the crazy part. But it starts to make you think, how can I connect to this person? They're starting to share these things that are going on in their life, and it starts to just naturally elicit this idea of, have I ever experienced something like that? Oh, my gosh, I've never experienced something like that. I can't believe they're going through that. I feel for them so deeply because I've never gone through that. Or I feel for them deeply because I know exactly what that feels like, and I just want nothing more than to see them okay. And so, man, can I hold your hand? I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to hug you. Maybe I can help you in some way. And all of a sudden, you start to use your experiences, your personality, your friend group, your church, your job, your relationship with God, just to try and help that other person. In other words, this is what I'm saying. You go out and start knocking on doors thinking it's a normal Saturday, and you plug into a bigger picture of what our local church is doing in this community, and all of a sudden, your life starts to get a little bit of vision for how you should be using it, like that just from plugging into the bigger story on Saturday morning for two and a half hours. That's what we're saying you need the bigger story for. The other one that it reminded me of, that's the first one. The second one is a little bit more personal. Um, It reminds me, honestly, of my relationship with my son, uh, Jude Alexander. You undoubtedly have heard him over the course of this sermon. Um, My son is not a bad young man, uh, but he is a young man. And by young man, I mean baby. And uh, he's a little boy. And so he is naturally very energetic. Uh, he is very uh, rambunctious. He sometimes get, gets really focused on just like a certain thing. And all of a sudden, you can't get his attention. You could say stop 18 times, my man. He'll be like, and it's like, bro, I've said stop as many times as I can get out in one breath. And you just will not stop. And so sometimes, right, it, it leads me to get frustrated. And all of a sudden, I start to yell at him. I, I feel this, this sense of desire to get his attention, so I raise my voice, and, and maybe I, like, try to grab him and be like, hey, hey, brother, look at me, man. Stop what you're doing. And sometimes it's because my man is going to hurt himself. The other day we had an iron out, which never happens at our house, but we did have an iron out this day. Um, and all of a sudden, my, my guy was walking up to it, and he was like, iron. And I was like, Jude, Jude, stop. Bro, stop. Jude, Jude, 
hey. And all of a sudden, he's like, what? Huh? huh? He probably is getting a little bit like, hey. He's probably, <laughs> Patrick is looking at him in the back, and he said, he's like, well, I know what that means, right? So I start having to yell at him because they're like, yo, you're going to burn your hand, brother. Get your hand away. Stop. X, Y, and Z. That's what it is sometimes. But other times, man, it's just because he frustrates me because I want control. That's not, it's fine. And so if you're like me, which I think some of you are, struggle is a, is a, is a value. I mean, struggle. Uh, control is a value of yours, right? You struggle when you don't have it. And nothing tests you uh, in not being control like a two-year-old boy that somehow fails to listen when he's looking literally at hurting himself in the face, right? And he's just like, oh, I'm going to run into that. I don't care what you say. Nothing, nothing challenges that control. It's not healthy, uh, but, but that's just some of my insecurities coming to the forefront, right? And, and wanting control and wanting to feel safe and wanting things in my house to be a certain way. And, and that's just what it looks like for me. And, and here's the thing. Here's why it reminded me of, of what we're talking about today. Because when I'm stuck in my own little moment and in my own little world, all I see is a disobedient little boy who's frustrating me and is robbing control from me and is making me feel frustrated. But when I plug even just a little bit into a bigger picture, I start to see a young man who has needs and is learning and is exploring who he's going to become and who God has made him. And he's learning with curiosity and with experiences and he's touching certain things and he's making mistakes as we all do and as he will do. And I have to look and say, man, I got to chill because he's not doing it to take control. He's doing it to grow. And I'm one of the few people that God has given this young man to help him grow. It's just a little bit of a step, a little bit of a step into a bigger picture. And then I take that next step, right? I take the next step from there to plug not just into a bigger picture, but now to plug into God's picture. And I start to see God's work. I see myself as a father in the hands of the father, being stripped of my idols of control and my idols of comfort by a loving father, by a good shepherd, so that I can lean more on the God who is the actual father that I need and the actual father that my son needs, so that I can lean more on him and grow to be the father the husband, the pastor, the friend that I need to be, that's what God's plan is. And if I'm not careful and I'm not plugged into that bigger story, I see the blessings that God has given me as curses. I see the blessings that he's given me, that he's working in me, that he's building more in me, that he's stripping me of, and, and like the potter with clay, breaking down and building up and breaking down and building up, but intimately close, never with his hands off, I start to see those breaking down processes as curses instead of the gifts that they are. My man, testify. He's like, yes, this is true. Friends, we need a bigger story to plug into to help us evaluate our lives well, to help us evaluate our hearts well. But hear me, I don't think a bigger story is enough. I think we need to plug into God's story for us, for his people, for his church, in order to receive the hope and the wisdom we need to understand what God is doing in our lives specifically. Right, to receive the courage, the the hope, the encouragement that what he's done for generations of people, because he is the good shepherd of his people, he's doing in my life as well. And I know, hear me, I know that for some of us, that's hard. For some of us, 
um, it's hard to tap back into that. You may be sitting here and thinking like, yo, I'm a Christian, and it still can be hard for you. Because maybe we feel like we never put ourselves in God's story enough, right? God's story for us. We, we, we may look at it, and, and really sometimes for some of us, we may look at our lives and not even really be aware that God has a story for us. We may just think that we're kind of off on our own, that God is the hands-off God that's kind of letting you go through whatever you go through, and he's going to come in and save the day without realizing he's the master surgeon, the potter that's actually working through the story in you and with you. For some of us, we feel like we've messed up that story. We've made choices or bad decisions, and we feel like maybe we've tried to, to, to move ourselves out of the story that God has for us, and so we, we feel like maybe we can't tap into it for, for that reason. Maybe we feel... Um, that God's story for us is, is too good and we don't deserve God's story, right? That, that the idea of, of a good shepherd leading me to good is something that I don't deserve. And so we oftentimes can see our lives, honestly, like this testing ground. And, and, and if we pass certain tests in our life, then that'll be the weight by which God measures us to lead us to good, right? Friends, no matter what your opinion is there, what you're feeling as I'm talking about this story that God has for you and that he wants to call you into, the only thing I can do is point you to Jesus. The only thing I can do is point you to Jesus. Right? Because it's Jesus that made a way for us to enter into God's story by exchanging his story for our story. Uh, the Bible teaches us that through Jesus, that though, I should say, Jesus was God in heaven, enjoying the eternal glory and happiness of what it means to be God in glory out of love, he left his story and entered into our story, a story filled with brokenness, a story filled with pain, a story filled uh, with heartache, yet he takes on the full experience of humanity, our pains, our struggles, our shame, our guilt, so that we who don't have a, a great story, right, could exchange our story for his glory and forgiveness and love. And so, friend, uh, if you don't know that story of God's love and forgiveness, the path to it is not through you. It's through the good shepherd. The path to that story is not you correcting your actions. The path is entering in through the, the, the gate, the good shepherd that leads us to that good story and exchanges your story for his. It's by taking and latching on to the story of redemption that we get to be a part of as we say something like we're planting a church or we just go and knock on a door and say, yo, do you need anything? How can I pray for you? We're just in the community, right? All those little moments that take us from the moment that we're in where it looks like our lives alone are the only thing in front of us and start to plug us into this idea that God is seeking and saving lost people. That, that what he's done in your life, he didn't do on accident, but rather he's working it for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, not just you, but those around you as well, right? Like you, you start to plug into this story and you see that, that the good shepherd is not one that is pushing you along and behind you, but rather he's the one in front of you, guiding, loving, and bringing you into every season of your life, loving and caring for you, and preparing the way so that the destination of good can be yours. And we have the assurance of that, that God is faithful now because we look at the cross and we say God was faithful then. And we come to that man and say, here's my story. Sometimes it's narrow, sometimes it's small. I make mistakes, I fail. And he says, okay. Here's my story. 
a story of forgiveness, a story that you're forgiven and you're redeemed, an empowering story that takes you and and shoots you out into uh, the world to say, now I'm taking that message of forgiveness and redemption to those around me, to communities that need it, to hurting people. And I may not have all of those answers, but I know the destination of my life is good because I look at the man on the cross and I share the hope with you that the destination of your life is good. How do I know? Look at that man on that cross. He tells you everything you need to know. And so, friend, I, I, I ask you again the same question that I've asked you already. What in your life is pointing you to that bigger, bigger story? What in your life is pointing you there? What are you engaging in your life that, that's shooting you your eyes upward to the person of Jesus and letting you know, man, you may have failed, but I've succeeded. Things may be broken, but I'm mending. Right? Things may be hard, but I'm leading. What's pointing you that direction? Right? Is there an evangelistic space that you share what God is doing in your life? It, is, what does your devotional time look like? I'm not saying these things to shame you. I don't think God gives us these things in order to shame us, but rather I, I truly do believe that he's inviting us, right, to plug into a story that delivers hope. That, that following God, as I said in the very beginning, is the invitation to follow God and through that receive hope that comes from plugging into a bigger story, bigger than just us, that, that asks us to depend on him to do things through us that, that we're not sure we alone could do, right? That, to work through certain situations that we don't think we have the strength to work through, right? To stand firm on things that we claim we believe, but if we think if it was up to me, I'd kind of just falter. To fight for relationships, to fight for, for good that, that we don't necessarily always even know we're strong enough to do, but he gives us the strength. What in your life is pointing you to a bigger story like that? I think that's a question that God is inviting us to answer through a text like this. And I think as we answer that question and find that place, he invites us to experience the hope that he longs to give us as the good shepherd. And he invites us to really believe and be encouraged by the truth that he does lead us to green pastures. He lets us lie beside still, or he leads us to, to quiet waters and lays us in, in green pastures, right? We're invited to, to know that truth deeply as we plug into the bigger story of who he's been as faithful for generation to generation and who he claims he will be in your life as well. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time today. I, I pray that, Father, all of us, as we look at like a verse like this, where we see David writing these words, plugging into a story of redemption that has lasted hundreds of years. Uh, likewise, we wouldn't look at our lives as isolated events, but we would plug into the story of your faithfulness across time. That, that even when you first created human beings, and literally the first indication of, of sin that, that caused a fracture in your beautiful creation, even in that moment, you proved faithful to forgive, to spare, to, to offer mercy, and even to promise a means of hope through the person of Jesus in the future, ultimately leading to the redemptive work that you give us in the cross. And so, Father, allow us to tap into a bigger story, but not just any story, but your story, your story of redemption for the world and including us. Father, let us draw our strength from you as we approach you and say, help me, Father. I know that I'm focusing on, on my life, but what are you doing in my life? I know that I'm focused on this frustration, but how are you working in this moment? 
I know that I'm focused on this pain, but how are you bringing joy through the midst of sorrow as only the good shepherd can do? And so, Father, lead us. Lead us as your people, as your church. Lead us to lie in green pastures and lead us beside still waters as we follow you and we love you and we trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 